Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for February. Pretty much. So, you got to watch out because it's cold, it's wintry, it's icy. It might be a bit frosty. The ground might be a little bit slippery. You have to be on sure footing because if you're not sure footing, you might take a fall. In fact, it might be a case. You might take a tumble. What happens if the entire town was slippy and icy and wet? Then the entire town might be tumbling. In fact, you could possibly say it's a tumble town. Now, the only way to get about a tumble town is if you've got maybe sharp things on your feet. Maybe if you've got hooves. Maybe you're an ungulate. Maybe you could even be some kind of weird giraffe. So when I'm talking Tumbletown and when I'm talking weird giraffes, there's only one person I could think about getting on the show. They're a repeat offender. They've been on too many times, but also it's been too long since they were last on. I am talking about Carla Cop. Yay! Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Carla Cop, and I was like super like I was like waiting to hear like where that would go. I thought you just like to talk about the snow for a while. <laughs> There you go. There's method to my madness, I think. Potentially, maybe. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. There's actually no snow here. so It's threatening here. It's kind of like I'll look outside the window and there'll be like snowflakes have fallen. And then when I'll go and look at the ground, there's absolutely nothing there. Because I think it's just about that... um, three four degrees celsius where the ground isn't quite cold enough for the snow to settle it's still kind of mel- melting in the puddles it's not that great but there you go um last time we talked which was a little which was a little while ago um you've been just doing all different types of things you've been gro- in fact you had i think you were still not kind of working kind of full-time in the industry. So what's happening? What's been happening? <laughs> what have you been up to this in the time that we haven't spoken, basically, I guess? Well, I ended up quitting my job so I could do, like, a sabbatical. And, well, like, a, the plan was to do, like, six months off and then get another job. Um, because I was mm-hmm. in, like, this job that was super stressful. It was, like, destroying me. It was not good basically um so i was just gonna take a break and recoup and like like get healed after like being around people that were like it was a really toxic environment um but then i really enjoyed like just focusing on board games and traveling around and like designing games so i just never went back 
And it turns out it actually wasn't that expensive. Like, uh, me and my partner could afford for me to, like, you know, design games and stuff. We we still can buy food. <laughs> You're not living on rice and beans all the time, then? I mean, I do eat rice and beans sometimes. Um, and a lot of cereal. <laughs> right. But yeah. I'm super happy. And I get to do things like I exercise every day. Like, does that that must have does that not have a big impact on your life just getting out and doing something active yeah because uh, that's like the first thing I do every day is I just I wake up and I just exercise Mm -hmm. and that just makes the whole day much better has it been an improvement in your health would you say from a physical point of view as well as a mental point of view because I know that for a while you were struggling a bit and I know that there was a, a kind of a mixture between like your physical health and just your job seemed to be kind of like um, stopping you from maybe reaching your potential where you could be kind of thing. So you found now that, you know, with you being able to kind of spend more time doing like your exercise in and just doing what you want to do, are you, are you in a much better place than where you were when even when we last kind of spoke? Yes, definitely. Like, uh, when I was still at my job, I, w- I kept on, like, my heart condition, like, it kept getting worse. And mm-hmm. we couldn't figure out, like, why it was getting worse. But then I mm-hmm. put in my two weeks, and, like, literally, I handed in, like, my two-week letter, and my heart just fixed itself. Wow. Um, and then I realized that that was all stress. Like, well, I do have like a mitral valve prolapse that I do need to like drink a lot of water and stuff for, but it's Mm -hmm. not like something that matters like as much as it was. Like it was a thing that was like really making my daily life really bad. Um, and turns out it was just stress that was doing that. So yeah, it was like an instant fix. Were you like really surprised? Were you sitting there kind of going, I can't taking this all in I mean you're kind of sitting there with your partner and going this is so strange it's like even the result of kind of like just knowing in my head that I'm not going back to my place that that's actually managed to make me feel kind of better and improve myself almost kind of automatically yeah it was like so crazy because like I was like whoa like well because like people had said like stress does all this to you but like it didn't like it didn't feel like it was that much stress. Like, I knew it was bad, but mm. I didn't think it was that bad um, until, like, I actually stopped and, you know, even, like, having, like, a few months off. Like, like I was in just such a, like, toxic environment and I was doing all these, like, weird things to cope with it and, like, becoming yeah. this, like, different person. Well, because, like, when you're yeah. in an environment where people are like, yeah, you should tell the truth, tell the truth all the time. And then, like, if you do tell the truth, then they get really angry at you and you're like, but I did the thing that you wanted me to. Yeah. Or I thought, like, all the lies and stuff like that. Um, yeah, when you don't just, know when people are watching or, like, or just the fact that people watch and, yeah, it was just not good. But I'm doing so much better now. I have, like, the best coworker who is my cat. And he makes sure that I, like, take breaks every so often and, like, give for, him food and pet him and stuff, so. For tummy, tummy tickles and stuff like that. So you get a, do you get, like, an official kind of ear scratching and tummy tickles review then as that was going to happen <laughs> on a six-month basis? 
just to see if you're kind of keeping up to your side of the bargain. Well, I know that yesterday, I think it was, mm. um, I had a friend over and we recorded, uh, well, I'm starting like a podcast thing um, with him. And so we were recording all day and the cat, like after we were done, like he just like started like meow screaming at me for about a half an hour because apparently <laughs> I was not petting him enough and he wow. was not happy with the situation. I think they're just going to have to get used to it. I mean, that's the situation. You mentioned the P word. Uh, what's the podcast? What's the podcast? Well, what's the podcast going to be about? Uh, so it's uh, Dex, Dice, and Cards, I think. Or um, Cameron actually knows like the, the better name for it. I'm like so bad at names. Um, but in the podcast, we have three different segments. Uh, one of the segments, me and Cameron, like we just we roll dice and we get these criteria for a board game uh, yeah. to design. And then we just spend about a half an hour designing a, designing a board game. And it just goes places. Um, and I don't know. I've ha- been having a lot of fun with that so far because, like, well, um, I haven't really, like, co-designed from the beginning with people before. So just having yeah. somebody that, like, like brings up ideas that I don't bring up, like, it, it just... It's been making me design a lot more, like, in my spare time because I'm in, like, d- this designing mentality. So when you're doing the discussions, are there going to be games that you're potentially going to actually work on and then bring to kind of, like, a release-type thing? Is that what you're looking at? Well, I hope so. That would be really cool. That sounds cool. This is different. I mean, I'm not being funny, but when we first... I remember when you were first on the the podcast like a long time ago and you at that time, you know, had kind of never really sounded like somebody that would be going ahead and doing their own podcast. (laughs) I mean, do you think, you sound like you've kind of grown completely in kind of like confidence and stuff like that. You're a bit more self-assured of what you're doing. You definitely sound happier. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, being away from people that are just mean and angry all the time is definitely Mm. part of it. But also just Mm -hmm. the fact that I've had so many successes and you can't, like... Well, I'm usually, like, my worst critic, so... um, Yeah. Like, I can't, like, argue with the fact that, like, I've been selling games and... Well, my games are in distribution now and people keep buying them. um, And (laughs) I keep having successful Kickstarters, so... I mean, I must be doing something right. For like, um, like I've gotten hired to do a, uh, create a few board games for people. Um, I've gotten yeah. a few game or, yeah, two games were signed by other publishers. So yeah, like just going out and doing things is like, you know, it it has a good effect on your attitude. <laughs> has that made you more given you a certain mindset when it comes to picking games that you're wanting to sign? Are you a bit more picky? about what you're looking for do you have like a kind of a selection of games that you would like weird giraffe to kind of like sign going kind of going forward um because you still are you still running galactic raptor as well is that still going yep galactic raptor is still going strong and hopefully we'll be getting another kickstarter out in the next like three months so i'm working on that as well um, but yeah, like Weird Draft Games is going well. Um, I'm pretty picky about it. Um, and like, 
especially the people that I work with, um, because some of the designers I've worked with, like, it's definitely been a learning experience on how I like to work and, like, the kind of communication I want to have. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, and just learning how to work better with people over the years. Like, I really want to work with people that are, like, super into collaboration and doing work and going out there and getting ideas and hearing ideas and, like, just talking about their ideas because so much um, development happens, like, not while you're playtesting, but just when you're talking about things. Like, yeah. okay, I saw this uh, problem in the last playtest. Let's, what are all the ways that we can fix it? And then what are the best ways? Like, what ways do we actually want to try to fix it? And, like, just identifying, like, all the things uh, that could be better. Um, like with Tumbletown, like I've worked with Kevin Russ, the designer, um, yeah. on that for almost two years at this point. Wow. And I really want like that sort of experience where like the two year thing is like, it's not the most uh, like time efficient, but we make games that are like very specifically what I want them to be. If that makes sense. So how, I mean, going back to, I mean, talking about Tumbletown, but going back to how you were first aware of kind of like Kevin's game, I mean, did he approach you? Did you approach him? I mean, how did how did you guys kind of like first start interacting with each other? So um, I first met him at my first Origins that I had a booth. And this was the first time I'd actually had a booth at a convention, really. Um, like I'd, I'd been to conventions before and... You know, I'd done work and stuff like, um, like in the, my, like, past, I was like, I worked at a pizza place. And at that pizza place, I would work like 12 hour shifts and life was great. So I went into the whole origins as it's only an eight hour shift. I've done far worse before and I'm just going to be standing there talking about board games. How hard could that be? Uh, <laughs> But it turns out that that is super hard, especially yeah. as an adult person. Like, um, So when I worked at the pizza place, I was 16, um, and now I am 30, and a 30-year-old <laughs> body cannot withstand like standing on concrete for eight hours without dying. I do look back on my days of being 30. Um, yes, <laughs> that was a long, long time time ago and you've just all of a sudden made me feel rather old Carla if I'm being perfectly perfectly honest with you but did um yeah so did Kevin just come to come up and did he pitch the game to you at the time when Um, he was there no so at Origins I ended up like just panicking and reaching out on Twitter and being like hey I just need help if anyone Mm -hmm. could just come help at the booth um, that would be fantastic. And the person that came to help out was Kevin. Um, so oh, right. Kevin, okay. like, he helped out. Um, we got to talking and stuff while we were at the convention, like, and became friends because he really, like, saved the day and made it so that I wasn't completely dead. And so I would go to another convention, basically. Um, so that happened. And the next convention I was going to was Gen Con, which is like, uh, tour, two months after uh, Origins. And mm-hmm. at Gen Con, I reached out to Kevin and was like, hey, let's hang out. We're both here. We're both friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and one night, um, we were like, uh, we were just playing different prototypes. And we we're like, oh, yeah, Kevin, do you have any games? 
Um, and he pulls out Tobletown. And wow. I'm, yeah, I immediately like super liked it because uh, the whole, um, the, there was dice stacking. Like it was an engine builder where you would take dice um, and stack them to make your little Tumbletown. And I was almost immediately hooked there. Um, I do have this, uh, I don't know, I guess process or something with games where um, I am not allowed to sign a game at a convention. Um, do you know why that is? Um, I was going to say because you can kind of get caught up in the excitement at the time. And there's also, I would say, is the fear of missing out. Because if I was at a booth and I knew that this person was going around and seeing four or five different people, you might be tempted to say, oh, this is the game. This is the game that's going to get me something and be tempted to to throw out an agreement kind of there and then and try and get them signed instead of reflecting back on it and thinking, well, I'll give it 24 hours and if it still lights my fire, then I'll, I can approach the person. Yeah, so that that's essentially it. And it's also the whole thing of like, do I enjoy the game because I enjoy not standing and saying the same like 30 second mm-hmm. phrase like over and over again? Like, is it just because it's a game or is it because I actually yeah. like it? So, um, yeah, I took, I think like a week or two and I thought about it and I think I did a print and play version. Like I asked Kevin to just send it over so I could print it all out and try it out myself. Mm-hmm. And at that point I still liked it. So I signed it. Um, yeah, but a big part of it was, um, well, it had that unique dice stacking feature to it. I knew that there would be an amount of work to it. I don't think I knew that there would be two years of work with it, but, um, I was completely willing to work on it because Kevin was such a great guy. How much, how much has changed in the version that Kevin shown you to the version that's going to be heading on to Kickstarter? Is there a massive change between the two of them? I would say a pretty massive change. Um, there was like eight significant version changes. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a lot of things that were in the original version that, you know, it got cut out and we went different ways. Like there was dice mines added at a certain point in time. And then we took away the dice mines because they didn't actually solve a problem. <laughs> uh, go figure. You try things out. You put things in and take them out. But the yeah. first version, yeah. like, I would say is almost completely different like there's still building plans that you build and you put dice on top of each other um and there was some engine building but nearly every card has changed in some way they've gotten a bunch of upgrades um there's a lot of like more dice manipulation um the original game had a bunch of uh, shacks where the shacks were like all unique and there was like 30 of them so um, you would get um, two at the start of the game and it was basically like to start your town and the shacks are completely eliminated now um, just to like super streamline the game. Um, There was a number of choices made to make this game like super super easy to learn and approach and just like intuitive. Um, that weren't in the base version. Are you want? Are you trying to aim for something that people will get to the table kind of like again and again and again, because it doesn't take a long time to set up. You can just kind of go out and play. Because personally, one of the things that sometimes puts me off bringing a game back to the table is that 
is getting it all set up and and, and then trying to remember the trying to remember the rules and stuff like that and kind of giving myself a refresher are you kind of looking for something that people will just say yeah I'm going to just play this let's all just pile in this because we know it's easy to play easy to set up and stuff like that yes that is definitely one of the things um, that I care about a lot because well I've had plenty of games where it's like oh I learned this six months ago and then I try to like play it again and I'm like oh there's so much and I guess I have to read this whole rule book so maybe I'll just do something else so uh, to try to make it like super easy to pick back up again, I always put quick start guides at the back of the book. So instead of reading yeah. all the rules to set up, you just go to the very back and you do this quick setup guide and it's super fast. And then I always try to have lots of reference cards. So there's a reference card for how your turn works and it has all, basically all the information you need to just take your turn. Um, there's a game setup card, which will tell you how to set up the whole game, like what the player differences are, because each player, like in a four-player game, they start off with different starting resources. Um, you have to take out a certain number of cards for player count. And all these things are listed on the game setup card. So if you have the game setup card, the reference card, and there's an icon reference card as well, and then coupled with the quick start guide, you should be able to get back in if you learned it like a year ago. I want to be super like, you don't have an excuse uh, not to play this. You just need to set it up and go for it. Yeah, I mean, they get that on um, Fire in the Library, which was, you know, it's just there and it's really easy to kind of set up. It's really easy to kind of get back to the back to the table after you've, you know, after you've not played it because it's the type of thing you go, oh, yeah, I remember it now. I remember what I'm going to be doing. And then you just play it and watch the library burn um, as, as it is. Um, with... There's not been, there's been a few town games. There's tiny towns, there's little town. Did you at any point, were you concerned about people doing an indirect comparison with something like tiny towns, little town, even though it is like in essence a completely different game? Oh, definitely. So at one point in time, I was calling it Tiny Tumble Town. And then Tiny Towns came out and I was like, oh no, I can't call it Tiny Tumble Town because everyone is going to think that it's like some expansion to Tiny Towns or a standalone expansion or something like that. So I ended up changing the name back to Tumble Town, um, which, I mean, it was fine. I just liked lots of alliteration, um, but I tr- did that to try to distance it a little. Um, and the fact that um, Tiny Towns, it's also a spatial town building game where so it's yeah. tumble town um but um there's like the players interact differently it's a different theme i'm hoping people are, like if they do um like compare them or talk about them together they'll be like oh if you like tiny towns you might also like tumble town um and vice versa i am um, and to me it kind of like attracted me to have a look <laughs> Because I've not, I've not played um, Tiny Town, um, but everybody kind of goes on about how good it is. And if I see something like that, I was like, okay, well, let's see what this kind of is anyway. So to me, it was kind of like a little bit. Oh, I'm going to take a look and check this out, you know, just to see kind of what it was a, what it was kind of a, what it was kind of about. In terms of um, the gameplay, how would a round kind of play? How would you kind of play the game? 
So on each player's turn, the first thing they do is they claim a building plan. Um, And the building plan basically tells them how they can build the building. Um, So each building, it requires a certain number and type of dice. Um, And the dice have to be certain values. So maybe all the dice have to be between one and three, and it requires two brown dice and a gray dice. Um, Or die. If it's one. Um, so uh, you take your card and you also get to take um, the die or the dice that are listed um, in that row um, because mm-hmm. there's three levels of cards. There's the level one, two, and three. The level one are super easy to make and give you a lot of dice manipulation power so you can like start building the uh, the harder to build buildings. Um, the level two buildings are more um, engine buildery kind of cards. And finally, mm-hmm. the level three buildings, they give you extra um, points at the end of the game. Like they give you uh, different scoring conditions, um, but they're super hard to make. Um, so it's suggested to start off with the level one and two and build your way up to the level three. So you take your building plan that you chose, um, the dice that are listed in that row, and then you roll them all and you try to build. Um, and if you chose in uh, level one, you'll probably be able to build. Um, you also have your horse, um, which will allow you to do some dice manipulation and add one or subtract one to any of your dice. Um, and then if you can build your building, you start constructing it. And you have to fully construct a building, meaning you have to have all the dice and they have to be mm-hmm. the right values. Or if any of the dice are the wrong type or value, you have to take a negative two-point token. Um, this is generally okay because the building itself will give you points. And yeah. um, where you place it on Main Street will also give you points. Um, placing it on your Main Street is essentially where the spatial puzzle aspect comes in. Um, so you want to plan out your town and try to... Um, adhere to like all the townspeople's uh, wants. Um, you can place your building anywhere, but if you match up the criteria that's listed on the card, um, you'll get a point for each um, base die that matches. So maybe the townspeople want a level three high building in a certain area, or maybe they just care about the base die colors. Like maybe they want like a brown die here and a black die here. Um, you know, whatever it says on the card. Um, you also get points if you make uh, one space alleyways between the buildings because, I mean, it just makes the town look better and the people like that. Um, so after you do all that, you've constructed a building, um, it goes to the next player's turn. Um, and so as you're going along, you're just constructing more buildings, gaining more powers. Um, on your turn, you can use any of the uh, constructed building powers that you have um, to mm-hmm. either manipulate your dice or generate new dice, re-roll dice, that, that sort of thing, um, until um, two of the dice supplies run out. Um, because it's the Old West, so dice supplies are limited. Um, once two of the dice supplies run out, um, the game trigger... Um, is going to end soon and it, everyone takes an equal number of turns um, and then you tally up your score. It sounds like you've actually said this a number of times already. Oh, really? <laughs> this, That's such this a is coincidence. A, this is a well-practiced pitch. <laughs> it's almost like I've been telling people about this game for two years. It almost sounds like it's potentially like you've maybe have... <laughs> Maybe I've been kind of doing that. Um, is it in terms of like the marketing side of things? Because it does sound great. I mean, as I say, it looks exactly my 
kind of bag. I love, you know, it's but what's the approach been like to to marketing? Did did you or have you kind of analysed how you've been handling the marketing? Because if we look at like say Big Easy, Big Easy Busking, that the project had to be cancelled. Um, did that make you kind of reassess how you were kind of reaching out and gaining an audience and building kind of noise for that at the time? Well, this one was done a little differently. Like Big Easy Busking, I think from uh, signing it to uh, actually launching the Kickstarter and then canceling it and then relaunching it, um, I believe that took about a year. Um, yeah. But with yeah, um, Tumbletown, I took like the the long approach of just take this to every convention I go to for, you know, two years, which turns out to be a lot of conventions. Um, but also, um, Kevin, Kevin was like an amazing part of this. So Kevin's job is that he's a photographer and he's not like a normal photographer that takes pictures of like kids and stuff. Actually, I don't know what a normal photographer mm-hmm. does, but anyway, he travels around in his van just traveling places and taking pictures of nature and all these things. So he gets to drive where he wants, and then companies like Apple buy his pictures and make them screensavers. Um, So uh, in the past two years, he's essentially been just going around and, you know, timing where he is to conventions and then playing games with people. Um, So Kevin is definitely a a great proportion of like the marketing just because he's like such a great guy that's going out there and meeting people. Um, But also like I'll get back to the whole photography thing. I don't know if you follow like my Instagram, but I have been Mm -hmm. posting a lot of Kevin's photos. So like Kevin is also my photographer for Weird Draft Games where he will take uh, board game photos. um, And those are rather normal and expected. But with Tumbletown, I asked him to take it to the Old West. So I have a bunch of pictures like, here's Tumbletown and a cactus. Here's Tumbletown yeah. and like the little buildings and dice and like an old wheel yeah. and things like that. And I hope like that gets people like super interested to know that like we actually are like, well, Kevin at least is in the Old West taking pictures. Like we kind of know what we're doing um, subject matter wise. Um and yeah, like, uh, there's been so many more reviews also that I've been doing. Um, and there was just a lot more of everything than I did with, uh, Big Easy Busking. Did you feel, did you feel you had to do more just to make sure that it was kind of like, that there was more noise? Yes, definitely. Well, especially with the fact that this is more expensive than Big Easy Busking. Like, this is more mm-hmm. of a, um, like money commitment. So, um, it's obviously going to be a harder sell for people, like just the the money wise of it. So I wanted to make sure that you know, like the solo was really good, and like people knew about it. Um, like I also did this thing. Um, it was like a pre campaign goal, um, where Kickstarter now yeah. has launch pages. Um, for yeah. the the upcoming Kickstarters. Um, so I had this uh goal that where if we could get over 500 uh, followers to the campaign I'd include a like mini expansion to the game and I've been talking about that for like a month um, and then we got it um, which was really exciting but that kind of made the whole like like 
hey everyone the kickstarter is coming up you can follow it like um i've basically been campaigning for an additional month um before the even the campaign launched but hopefully that will mean that you know a lot of people know about it um and the launch goes off without a hitch and how much is it going to be i mean what's the kind of the the price of entry so right now it's 29 dollars um, I was like going back and forth on that. Um, I ended up putting it at 29 instead of like more expensive just because I want it to be much easier for people to say yes to it. Um, I had to like take out some parts of it. Um, but hopefully those parts will come back as stretch goals yeah. if we fund early. Because like, well, with a Kickstarter, if you don't fund, then you either have to like run another campaign or give up on it or. I don't know, something else. Um, but if you fund early, you generally, like, overfund. So I'm hoping that's what happens, that, you know, mm-hmm. we fund early, and then more people get to know about the project. Um, and then we can get in all those things that I wanted from the start. And I didn't take out anything of content. Um, it was just basically, um, like, one thing is, like, this really cool dice tower that uh, my partner Nick yeah. made. It's, like, this unique dice tower, like... Like, no one, well, probably no one has designed it. He he designed it himself um, because we both know how to use AutoCAD. Um, and who <laughs> knew that that's how we were going to use that skill? Um, yeah. Designing a <laughs> dice tower. Thanks, college. Um, but, yeah, hopefully, like, uh, we could get to the whole dice tower uh, stretch goal. And then everyone can, like, uh, experience this drop shaft of a dice tower mm-hmm. um have you had to take into account kind of you know with the manufacturing stuff the things like coronavirus and stuff like that is that and um the kind of the potential tariffs for anything that's manufactured from china as well have you had to kind of look into that as well and kind of maybe potentially take that into account when you were looking at like the manufacturing side Yes, like, that's been, like, a headache. Well, the tariff thing, like, uh, the other day I actually, like, was searching on the various Facebook groups about tariffs, and apparently we've been talking about tariffs since 2016, um, and we still don't have them, but maybe we will, and uh, I just, like, at this point in time, I don't think that we'll have them, but, like, um, I'm also charging shipping after um, the fact, closer to actually when the shipping will happen. Um, yeah. For a number of reasons. Like, one, it makes making the campaign goal, like, so much easier. Like, like if you don't include shipping in your Kickstarter goal, it's just super easy math problem. How much does it cost to manufacture plus how much does it cost to ship to the U.S.? And that's easy peasy. Um, but, like, when you have the um, shipping in with the goal, it's like, how many people from the UK will back this project? I don't know, yeah. but let's guess uh, this percentage. And like, if any of your percentages are wrong, then you might not have enough money, and that would be sad. Uh, like, I don't know. The whole shipping thing is more complicated than it needs to be because that's also a thing. Because I've been using Games Quest, which is in yeah. the UK, and yeah. you know, in 2020. Uh, there's not going to be any changes with shipping there, but maybe there will be for 2021. Oh I yeah, guess there we'll is. Find yeah. out. 
yeah like, we're not going to find out until the end of the year and um yeah and i <laughs> i my day job is working with businesses that sell on amazon and uh there's no answers to that question about what's going to happen with it because currently nobody knows and that's the long and the short of it uh, there's very little kind of information kind of coming out and i work and speak to government departments and nobody <laughs> is aware of what's coming on so it could be the case that uh all of a sudden, people that are getting games shipped into the UK might discover that they have additional charges coming in. Now, who's going to meet those charges? I mean, if you have 500 copies of a game going into the UK and <clears throat> Customs and Excise decide to slap a $20 customs duty on that, which is the normal, who who's then going to be responsible for that? Is that they're going to then come back at the... You know, someone like yourself, is that going to be your responsibility? Um, because it's just going to be a strange, I don't know, as you say, we, you're right. We know, we know nothing's just now because it's a transition period, but after next year, it could be the case where everything's just fine because it could be a major headache for a lot of businesses that would reckon that things could potentially kind of, kind of kick off. But we'll just have to, we'll just kind of, we'll just have, have to see. <laughs> have to see and cross our fingers for a major event and hope that the people at the top know what they're doing Um, right (laughs) or at least they don't mess it up too bad that's the hope well because I also use Games Quest which is in the UK to send out like all the games so I've been like looking for different um, uh, shipping partners and not the UK and well like the thing is is if everyone has to go to a different shipping partner like will that shipping partner keep their same rates or be able to like take in everyone that uh, can no longer go to Games Quest and like that's kind of a gamble as well Um, because they can handle it now but will they need to like instantly like if the UK is like oh actually we're gonna do lots of tariffs and stuff and taxes then like Mm -hmm. will the other fulfillment partners in like germany and poland will they just have to like okay well i guess we're hiring three new staff members now yeah i don't know because then they've still got to ship it into the uk so then it's a case of we're out (laughs) so it's just a major headache because it's not a case like you could ship the stuff to germany and then ship it into the uk because there's still that kind of uh, it's just you know and as i say there's no there's no real information on about it because nobody actually knows what is going to happen. Um, and I think we have the tabletops kind of managed to get by and done quite well. Um, but I think this could be potentially um, not problematic, but I think it could cause some heads, a lot of heads scratching and shaking and people kind of tutting under their breath for when it kind of gets sorted out. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It might uh, it might push to people kind of uh, having a split manufacturing, <laughs> you know, actually have stuff manufactured back in the States to get it shipped around the States and have stuff manufactured um, that's going specifically to Europe or even into the UK. We shall have to, to see, you know. Um, so hats off to anybody that's doing that uh, in the future. Um, but the future for yourself, I mean... You're continually working on games. Um, oh yeah, for is sure. Is this? I mean, what's your kind of your 
what's your what's a day in the life like? I mean, you mentioned you kind of you get up early, you're doing your exercises, and then after that, is it then tummy tickles and head scratches for the cat for like a couple of hours? Or have you because you're not? I guess what I'm asking is because you don't have somebody standing there kind of looking over and almost like micromanaging kind of you and you've got the freedom to do what you want do you generally kind of do you have do you have a different approach to life now do you able to say well actually yeah I'm just going to get my head down and get this all done or are you quite strict and put yourself under a little bit of pressure to get yourself to do stuff I'm probably, like, the hardest boss that there is, um, because I always, like, every day I have, like, a list of, like, 80 things that should get done that day, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and almost every day, like, uh, especially, like, this week, I've been getting down to only having, like, five things on that list, um, essentially, I work, like, a lot more, like, I'm able to exercise because I don't commute. Like, and my commute used yeah. to be about an hour, so taking an hour to exercise is, like, about the same thing. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I save time that way, and then I just start working, and if I ever get hungry, I, you know, go heat something up or and then keep working while I'm cooking. Yeah. And, like, I just stay at home most days. Um, so, like, I'll, I'll have dinner, but then I'll go back to working until, like, I get super tired. Um, and I generally don't take that much time off. Like, um, well, because, like, if I play games and stuff, I play them for reasons. Like, I want to, like, learn new things or play test. Um, but, yeah. Um, generally, how my day goes... Um, I start the day off. Um, I have like a few contracting jobs that I do because, well, uh, to be frank about it, the jobs that are contracting pay me real money, um, mm-hmm. and it's nice to have real money. Uh, so I prioritize <laughs> those. Well, yeah, because like, um, like with Tumbletown, I've been doing all these marketing things and getting things set up on social media and stuff, and that will theoretically pay me money at some point in time. Um, but, like, working for somebody else means that I will definitely get a paycheck um, and that yeah. will pay for yeah. food. Um, yeah. But uh, all the things I'm doing is, like, um, I have one company that I have, like, designed a game for and I'm helping them out. And I do things like social media or um, teach publishers how to, like, how to publish, like, how to interact with other things, um, like, make convention schedules for them. Um, or even, like, um, I'm teaching them, like, how to interact as people, I guess, in, like, the board game world. Um, because, like, a lot of uh, companies, like, they start off and they just treat people as if they're customers. And then they don't become customers because, like, who wants to be treated as if they're just made of money? Um, so I have to, like, tell people, like, hey, when you meet somebody, like... Then go friend them on Facebook and send them, like, a nice thing. Like, like if you enjoyed meeting them, say, hey, it was great to meet you. And, you know, things like that. Like, you would do to a friend. Like, be a friend. Like, don't treat these mm-hmm. people as if they're not. Like, yeah, um, yeah. like, it sounds, like, silly, like, saying it out loud. But, like, um, I don't know. Some companies just think that. I don't know, the game is so great that people will just notice it and want it. But in reality, like, there's a lot of games out there and you have to, like, do things to differentiate yourself and, like, your customers won't just, like, 
be born and be there for you. So you have to try to like get the people that really love the game and all those things. Yeah, I think um, I think being a little being a game designer nowadays means not only wearing many hats, but it's like it's moved on to starting wearing different gloves, different shoes, entire wardrobes of different things that's expected. And I, I see, I know a lot of people prefer to reach out to a kind of a publisher like yourself to help them get that help to get their game, to make their game a reality. Because I think the actual reality of the situation is that if you've got a little, if you've got backing behind you, um, if you're starting from nothing, it, I think it is, it's, it's almost very, very difficult to actually make something happen on your game, um, especially through Kickstarter, or it's going to take an awful long time. I don't think any, I don't think anyone, there's anyone there that's kind of like, I can start a game today and have it out there and up and running by August this year. I think it's going to take an, a, a kind of an awful lot, an awful lot kind of longer. Which is, yeah. you know, just the way that is. Well, it's either going to take like a lot longer, or it's going to take a lot of marketing money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To like just yeah. pay for people to to see it and like it. Yeah. Do you feel that's become? It's becoming a little bit of the big boys' game, or the the people with the kind of the deeper pockets. Then that if they're blasting out kind of like their market and spend they're getting in people's kind of eyes and that's, you know, kind of definitely helping them kind of get themselves on Kickstarter. Oh, I definitely think so. Well, like, just how the Kickstarter model works. Um, Like, Kickstarter will promote your project and show it to more people, the more people that back it. Um, The more money that Kickstarter has uh, for your project, like, it'll show it to more people because, like, Kickstarter wants to make the highest cut that it can and, like, showing off a game that isn't doing that well and hasn't been funded like kickstarter gets nothing if you don't fund so it might as well focus on the people that do so Mm. um just like getting out there and making your own crowd takes so long but if you can do all the advertising and pay like the big reviewers to to look at your game and make all the fancy videos like just having enough money to to get like a, a professional how to play video done and getting a professional illustrator and graphic designer and all these people to work on your project so that people look at it and actually want to buy it. Like that's a lot of money. Like, um, and there's not that many people that are willing to just wait for the Kickstarter to fund to then be paid. Um, and it's not yeah. that like the ethics of that, like all these people need food as well. So, um, yes of uh, like not paying people is really bad so yeah yes. yeah 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 um on a completely different note now that you are kind of essentially kind of working in the industry um on a full-time basis are you tempted to take up another hobby that's a way from the board game because I'm guessing there must be some days where even though it sounds to me like you're in a much happier place but is there times where you're kind of thinking actually I could do with you know doing something else like you know jogging or badminton or you know take out watercolour or (laughs) something (laughs) along those lines 
Well, so I guess like I kind of have. Um, so I do consulting work and I'm a publisher, but in my spare time, I now do design, which is still board games, but it's not. Yeah. It's not related to those like strictly um it's something that i do now like and it's super fun to just be able to start my own designs and see where they go and mm-hmm. not to make it into a specific product for weird draft games um yeah like for instance uh weird draft games uh i don't publish heavy games there i publish games that like i want them to have like a very like a low cognitive threshold so that you're not like thinking a lot on them like i want them to be thinky but not like a heavy game, like still like medium to light gameplay. But I designed a heavy game. Well, actually a couple of heavy games that I'm pitching at other publishers and I got another publisher to pick up. Um, so that's been really exciting to get to actually design games that wouldn't f- like be right for weird draft games. I was just interested because I, I know that the one... Well, no, I'm looking at this from two two points of view. I'm seeing... And I've met. I think I mentioned this before. I've seen a lot of people that um, they seem if they have a hobby that they're really passionate about, then it seems naturally the next step is how do I make something out of this hobby so I can turn some turn some coin from it. And also, I see the other thing is about I've seen people that uh, who are involved in kind of tabletop, kind of twenty four seven. And I know that it's easy to burn out to the point where you can say, well, actually, I just want to go and learn how to cook really well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or yeah. something like that instead, or go and do a pottery course, which is still creative, but it's just like, I'm not doing it for anyone else except for me and my enjoyment kind of thing, which is, that that was the reason I was kind of, kind of asking, asking the kind of question, but uh. sorry. So uh, I don't think I'll, like, have the same burnout problem because, like, while I'm at home a lot, like, and working a lot, I've also been traveling a lot as well. Um, Like, I've been going to so many conventions, and usually when I go to a convention, it's actually way cheaper to fly out on basically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So mm-hmm. I've been traveling out to places and staying a few extra days there and well, getting there early and staying extra. So I got to go and see New York for the first time. Um, and wow. I went there because there was a convention in New Jersey. So, um, and I had a friend in New York and I was like, oh yeah, you know, like how I've been saying that I'm going to visit ever since you moved there years ago. Yeah. Well, actually now I'm doing it. I'm going to come out and <laughs> see like people that I haven't seen in a long time and just travel around and explore. And that's been really exciting. Um, because I got to go to New York. Um, I never went to Dallas before and I did, I went there for BGG Con. I stayed like this year. I probably was in Seattle for a month, uh, on and off. Uh, but yeah, like, and I'm going to go to Michigan soon, uh, for Grand Con and just going out and seeing all these people that, um, like I well like I might know them from the internet but like getting to meet them yeah. in person and hang out and like just yeah. play games all night like like the um Seattle and Portland crews like they stay up till like 2 or 3 a.m. every day and I'm in <laughs> central time which uh is uh like 3 hours off so it's like yeah. I have to shift like 6 or 7 hours whenever I go to Portland because people just want to play games and hang out all the time um, but yeah, like just getting to like 
see all my friends. Like, I think that's a big part of it is like, you know, if I went to the UK, it'd be awesome just to hang out with you and like all these other people. Like, like it's exciting just to like, I don't know, be around people that understand, I guess. Yeah. And just, I think as, and there's the whole strange thing about, you know, and folk off the internet and then when you actually meet them, there's not that kind of awkwardness of meeting somebody for the first time that you've not really kind of met before and you kind of have met them and you kind of know them a little bit. So there's not that kind of little bit of awkwardness. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So there we go. Yeah. Like you don't know, but like you can learn so many things. Because, yeah. like, you haven't gotten bored of them yet. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure people will get bored of me at some point. Um, if people are wanting to kind of keep an eye on yourself... Now, I know you do this every single Kickstarter campaign, without exception. So what is the special, magical, fantastic, amazing URL that they need to go to in order to find the campaign for Tumbletown. So it is weirddraftgames.com slash TTKS. Um, and it'll take you straight to the uh, Tumbletown Kickstarter page. Excellent. And if they want to find you in general, what do they do to find you on the internet webs? So I have Twitter at Weird Giraffes. I'm on Instagram and uh, Facebook, Weird Giraffe Games. I have a subreddit now that's new, um, and what? I post there sometimes. Yeah, really? yeah, it's a thing. Uh, there's like there's people that are part of it, and anyone what? can join. Um, so uh, and I'm also on uh, Facebook as Carla Cop. Um, and have weirddraftgames.com. You can see all my web yeah. design skills. Oh, and I have a blog now. It's uh, weirddraftgames.com slash Carla. Like, pretty soon, like, I'll be coming on in, like, three years where I, like, the number of links I have here is, like, 40. Pretty I'm like, soon you need now to be we stopped. have a TikTok. No, pretty soon you need to be stopped. Pretty <laughs> soon you need to be stopped. Yeah, Just, well... You know. The intern will take over the Snapchat, so it's all going to be <laughs> the fine. Will take over. The intern will take over the Snapchat. That sounds fantastic. Um, you sound in a wonderful, fantastic place. Um, you know, you um, and I'm delighted um, because I know that you have worked your butt off to kind of get to where you where you are just now. So I'm, you know, I can only congratulate you on what you've achieved so far. Which is brilliant, and I'm really excited to see what um, what happens with the Tumbletown when it's released. Um, which you should be able to click on the link in the show notes and have a look, have a check, and potentially have a back as well. Um, but thank you very, very much for coming on, Carla. I really appreciate your time as always. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You always surprise me with the things. <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, if you've listened along to tonight and you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you will find us in all the different places, faces, and um, bases, I guess. Um, if you like what you've listened to, tell someone else. If you uh, like us even more, 
go to the iTunes or the Apple Podcasts or whatever they call it and give us a subscription and then tell somebody. Um, yeah, on, and give us a rating, you know, stuff like that. It's all fun, all fantastic. Um, there's only, there is only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Carla? We are not. There you go. Yay. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Carla. Say goodbye, Carla. Bye. And thanks for listening. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Rule six is make something awful. And uh, don't just fumble. Don't just bumble. Get yourself a little bit of tumble. Down. Until the next time. Goodbye. A wizard is never late. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to.